I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. We've got special guests today. We've got Ben Wilner in again. How are you? Ben, you're like, uh, you're becoming the co-host. I like it. I like it. I think I'm up to like four times now on the pod. I think it's just that you're the only one that calls me back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally kidding. Like, I I think you you provide some good insight. And you're, you know, easy to make fun of. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. And today, uh... Very special guest, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into everything about you. It's Jordan Parisi. Jordan, good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome. We, uh, I, pre- I I appreciate you telling me at least a couple of things that we're gonna talk about, and then as we're sitting here, we're talking about all these other stories. Like, there's so much about anything from juniors to pro to you know college to after all of this stuff that I've. You just like completely forgot, yeah. and then all of a sudden you start talking to people and you start remembering some things. You're like, "Oh my god, yeah. I, I can't remember. I, I can't believe that this happened." And you know, it's been a as you you know kind of prep me for this a little bit and realizing you know all the different adventures that my life has gone on. Yeah, since we probably met in 2000. Yeah, like we've been you and I got really tight for a long time. Yeah, and so I I was privileged to be a part of a lot of the stuff and then uh I've, you know it was awesome to have you uh a, a part of like my kids lives and and help raise ben and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you've been here for a long time so first i i just want to get into because maybe some people here might not know who you are but everybody obviously that's come to my camps because i've been bringing you to utah since i feel like it was 2000 yeah i could be wrong i feel like i was still at shattuck when i was coming here yeah and then uh I, I would say it was probably consistent for maybe six or seven years, yep. and then there was a, a period of like maybe one or two years. Where when I wasn't you're here. you're playing in Europe, and that threw up a, a huge wrench in things because I would have to leave in like July or August. And then we brought it. You gave us Troy Davenport. Yep, Dougie, as we call him. Yep. And uh, yeah, so then I would just kind of interchange you guys to because then he started playing in Europe. Yep. Then he started going to camp early, and then Evan started playing in Europe, and he started going to camp early. So we just changed our camp to we brought. From the middle of August to the end of July, because basically all of our players were in Europe. But uh, so, Jordan, tell us about. I want to get into uh, your childhood, really, because your childhood is going to be more hockey than any childhood that anybody else can have. (laughs) So you had asked me what my first memories were, yeah, and 
honestly, the, the first memories that I have of, of, of growing up and playing hockey were just my dad and I and my brother walking down the street. We had a pond that was right by our house, and he would, my dad would bring a shovel, and we would go down there, and he'd shovel off the rink for us, and, and we would just skate, I mean, until it got dark. And then the invention of lighted pucks started to come out, and then we play after that dark point. Lighted pucks? There were lighted pucks. Yeah, you put a battery in these things, and they would sit there, and there was like a red <laughs> blinking light that was going on all the time. So we got to. So we were playing with lighted pucks, and, and it was just hours and hours to the point where, like, your feet are frozen. You go back home, you take your, uh, take your skates off, and you're, like, screaming bloody murder and crying because oh. your feet hurt so bad. <laughs> And then, you know, my dad, uh, after we did that, he went back down to the rink. He asked one of the neighbors if he could use a hose, and he flooded the rink again so that the next morning we could go down there and we could skate all over again on fresh ice. And that was like, I mean, from the time that I was four years old, five years old, like that is that was every day. So was that Minnesota? That was in Minnesota, yeah. We were living in Bloomington, Minnesota at that point. Okay. And so uh, my dad was coaching. He was the assistant coach for the Minnesota North Stars then. So, and then... If we weren't skating on the on that rink, then he would bring us down to the Met Center, which was the rink that the North Stars played at, and we would go and skate at that rink. And so, like, and we got to see pros and and see how they were and how they interacted with people, and they were so good to us. And and I mean, I don't want to say that every day of my life was hockey, but when I think back, like it really was. And it wasn't it wasn't my dad forcing us to do anything. It was just that was the environment that he created. Yeah. Uh, well, it just brought you to work every day. Well, like, what an, what an amazing thing. Yep. So we got to, uh, you know, we got to experience that. We got to experience the North Stars. We got to experience the North Stars leaving and going down to Dallas, which was uh, a big thing for any, <laughs> yeah. any uh, old NHL fans. Um, and uh, at that point, we, you know, we were playing for Bloomington Jefferson, and and, uh, and Bloomington Jefferson at the time was, like, an excellent, excellent hockey program in Minnesota. So... Then all of a sudden, around I was in seventh grade and uh, going into the summer, and my dad got the opportunity. He was called by a, a school called Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota, and they asked him to come down and be the director of the hockey program. And so he had—he was no longer coaching with the North Stars. He had then taken a quote normal normal person's job as a—I uh, think he was selling insurance, commercial insurance at the time. Oh wow! And so he wanted to get back into coaching. This opportunity came up, and Craig Norwich said, "This is." If you look at this through the right lens, this could be a mecca. And uh, and my dad saw that same vision yeah. and and went down there. And since then, I mean, it's one of the storied. It's one of the most storied schools in hockey uh, that there is. Yeah, it's amazing what they built. I mean, I I don't want to make this about your dad. I don't. I definitely don't want to make this about your brother. I I want to make this about you. But and I, I don't want to. Just name drop the whole time, but I'm going to name drop right now. <laughs> so uh, these are important. These are important factors in this in the whole story. Right, right. And so let's just talk about some of the names that have con- come through Shattuck, and not just me. Okay, <laughs> not just Jason, and, yeah. and not just Phil. <laughs> yeah, not Phil Snyder, the rock star now. <laughs> but I mean, and obviously, when when I was there, it wasn't like it is now. Like there, we had a bunch of teams, but not everybody was going to college, and not and nobody was going straight to the NHL. But since your dad's been there, I mean, the biggest name. Would be Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby, John Taves, Zach Parisi, um, man, TJ Oshie, uh, Kyle Oposo, <laughs> Drew Stafford. I mean, these are, it, it's crazy. At, at one point in the NHL, there were, I believe, seven captains, captains or alternate captains in the NHL that were all from Shattuck. Oh. 
Which is, I mean, that is just an, it's a crazy number. It is. And and if you think um, I was doing a bunch of digging up on 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 stats for Minnesota and uh, trying to find out professional numbers as well as college numbers, and the the average team, or excuse me, the average uh, amount of college players in Minnesota is one every two and a half teams uh, that are Division One hockey players. And my team at Shattuck, just my one team, uh, my senior year, produced seventeen. Good lord! So I mean, <laughs> well, it's just was, obnoxious. Was that the team that went like forty-five and one? That was our. Uh, I think that was our Bantam team. We went. We won forty-five straight games. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, like, but, it was crazy. I know. It's, but all right. So your your dad obviously put together quite a program. Yep. So he put together a, a great program, and, and but his big philosophy was, you know, of course we want to bring in the best players, but we want to make sure that the that they are the best people as well. Yeah. That was a very, very important thing. So if you were kind of a dink, like you had, you basically had your one warning and then you were out. And so he was, and, and this is a testament to all those captains that ended up playing in the NHL or even guys that were Division One players. Like Division One teams don't want jerks on their team. Right. And and so we just started flood like with, with the coaching staff that he had in there, with the players that he was recruiting and bringing in. Uh, and, and you have this situation where, you have all of your best players or all of the best people in 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 a non egotistical and humbling way. You had this really healthy competition of Sidney Crosby's a really good player and then uh, you know, John Taves sees that and he's like, Well, I want to be like Sidney Crosby and they just keep chasing each other and at that point there's no limit in growth. Yeah. And and this is why they it just produced so many excellent players there. That's phenomenal. That's just it's unbelievable to to think back at and it's, I don't, I don't. It's just, it's awesome that you were a part of it. It was, a, it's, it was awesome that I got to see some of it. Yeah. And, and like we were just talking earlier about some of the amazing things, like just going in there and watching those Shattuck teams play against teams with like Patrick Kane and those guys on it, and watching these kids as fifteen, sixteen year olds. Yeah. And now they're they're going to be in the NHL Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right. So, all right, so I want, yeah, I just I wanted to touch base real quick on, on. So back in the day, we were really young kids. We were growing up. My dad came from the NHL. He was coaching in the NHL, and you know, a lot of people ask like, "Well, how how was your childhood, and how hard was your dad on you?" At, you know, during these times, and both you and your brother ended up playing at very high levels, and you know, he must have been so strict on you. And the one, the the answer that I give people is, you know, when we were growing up, there was one time, and it was very very early on in our career, like we were mites. And we went there and we were kind of screwing off or whatever it was. And my dad's initial response was, you know, I'm going to snap on these kids. So we got in the car and he snapped on us and we were driving home and both of us are like crying in the back of this car. And and uh, he had this self-reflection period and he just said, I'm, I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to yell at my kids again. Uh. And so once once he kind of established that, then we would get in the car and we would ask him, you know, dad, how do you think that we played or what do you think that we did? Instead of him... He understood that that was like usually a cry for help. Like I'm insecure, so I'm going to ask you what, what you think of me. And uh, so he would recognize that. And at a very early age, instead of him saying, "Well, I think you played well," or "I think that you did this," he said, "Well, how do you think you played?" Oh, and so all of a sudden, wow. at a really young age, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And if you know that you didn't play well, you know this this became a problem for you. It wasn't. It was no longer my dad saying you should do this, you should do that. It was at a very young age us determining and understanding that we need to be better. I can't. It, it's so crazy to me as as a parent and as an adult and as you know people uh, as a guy that's coached and as a guy that's been in leadership positions or whatever to think back of the times where and I th- I think you know that 
I got to be pretty good friends with your dad there for a while, and there were a couple times that I would call your dad for advice. Yep. And I always thought I knew what he was going to say. <laughs> and I was, your dad was just amazing. At, at just that stuff, that reflection that was so above what you think somebody's going to say. And I remember when my son was 13, 14, and Shattuck was just introducing a seventh grade team, and they're like, they offered him come to Shattuck, you know, and they offered him a pretty good tuition waiver. And I, and um, my wife was against it. She's like, no, oh, our son's not moving out of the house at 13. Right. I didn't have a kid so that he could go live in Minnesota. That's, that was her advice. So I called your dad and I'm like, hey, what do you think I should do? And he just said, what does he want to do? What does your son want to do? And I said, oh, you know what? I never asked him. <laughs> but so so I, I asked him, you know, I'm like, what do you want to do? And he didn't know what to do what he wanted to do really either he half wanted it and half didn't want it and your dad said the best thing i could tell you is that as long as your son's going to the rink i don't care if he's playing triple a or if he's playing at shattuck or if he's not playing if he's just going to the pond and skating a few times a day the important part at 13 through like 16 is that he wants to play and that he's doing it on his own and that he's having fun and that's like one of the first times i'd heard somebody say the word fun in a long time and then, then he also said, and plus, why would anybody, like, <laughs> nobody recruits goalies out of Shattuck, so right. your son's going to go there and be a goalie. And I think not... Ty Conklin and I are the only guys <laughs> yeah. that even had a sniff See, at anything. Ty's my, the, he, he was there when I was there, so yeah. anyway. But, uh, um, and, yeah, so anyway, your dad was like, that was so far and above, that was like a Jedi mindset. Like, the, the things your dad would tell me yeah. just bucked all conventional parenting of I'm going to make my kid go to the rink and I'm going to do this or I'm going to I'm going to get him this opportunity. He's like, "Ah, whatever." Like as long as he's having fun and doing it. When he's 15, 16, he's going to figure it out for himself and then he'll kick in the drive and then he'll he'll make the decisions and do what he wants to do. Yeah. And that, those are ironically the years that my son decided to become a soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it, was, it your dad was amazing to me. It, it was is a huge just a resource for me to help raise my kids and it's cool to hear that he was that way for you yeah and and, and the sad part is 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 uh he died in in 2015 so we're coming up on five years now and to you know be going through different experiences in life and being older and being able to uh you know especially the transition away from for me away from the sport and uh going through different trial periods for finding you know jobs and things like that and not having somebody there you yeah. know like you got to see a lot of that wisdom and I got to see it as a kid and right. a young adult um but to not have that available to me now has been probably one of the hardest things that that I've had to deal with so I can only imagine yeah. I can only imagine all right I I know yeah let's take a turn here I don't like cuz <laughs> honestly like and I'll, I'll just say when your dad passed away and I brought my we tried to because for those that don't know your dad coached here in Salt Lake. Yep. And uh, it was a long time ago, obviously, but uh, he coached Salt Lake Golden Eagles. And at the time, I was your, your dad was announced that he had cancer, and I was coaching the Salt Lake Golden Eagles uh, U16s. Okay. And uh, I contacted, I don't know if it was you or Zach, or right to your dad, and I just said, hey, we're, I'm bringing the Salt Lake Golden Eagles to Minnesota, and we're playing in a tournament there. And it was set up so your dad was going to be, I, I was just going to get out of the way and let your dad coach these kids. And he was he was kind of looking forward to it, and mm-hmm. he we talked about it a few times, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I could ever offer these kids. There's the opportunity to be coached by your dad, and it, unfortunately, he passed away before that. But it just it, it happened to be the time that we were there is the time of the funeral and all that stuff, and 
your dad was so loved there that you couldn't go down any street or on any highway without the 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 billboards were everywhere yeah it was, a, it was a pretty cool yeah a really horrible time actually but it was yeah. cool to see you know the 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 amount of love that people had for him and yeah. Um, so kind of a cool cool deal. All right. I said I wasn't going to make this about your dad in the first half hour. So for those that don't know, Jean-Paul Parisi was your dad. He yep. played 17 years in the NHL? I think 17 years pro, 13 in the NHL. Okay. So anyway, that, that's your dad. Your brother is Zach. Yep. Brother Zach, he's still currently playing the NHL. He uh, was with the Devils for, I think, seven years. He's been six or seven years with the uh, Minnesota Wild. And he has another six six years left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something obnoxious. <laughs> and I thought I thought I knew exactly what was going because he and uh, Suter signed those ten year deals. Thirteen. Thir- oh man, thirteen Thir- year deal. Yeah. So they signed these unreal deals, and then we knew Kyle's contract was going to be coming up with Minis- with uh, New York yep. the Islanders, and they were all talking about buying those houses by that lake. Yeah, Lake and Minnetonka. Were, yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, I can just see what's happening with the Wild now. I'm gonna, all these guys are going to end up there, but then Kyle ended up going somewhere else. Yeah. I think he, well, I think he was with Buffalo and ended up going to the Isles. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. But I, I thought I saw the writing on the wall. I thought this one street in Lake Minnetonka is going to have <laughs> right. all And Stafford would be going there, too. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Stafford. To, okay, so anyways, um, you you had your, your time at Shattuck, and then uh, – you end up going to the University of North Dakota. But where did you play juniors? You, yeah, so you, had, this, you had a bounce around junior career, yeah, right? Yeah, so um, it, it was kind of a crazy kind of a crazy time for me. I, you know, as, as you mentioned, like, there's not many goalies that come out of Shattuck. It's just always high-performing superstars and guys that score 200 points a year. So uh, my first year, uh, once I was done, I was 19 years old, so this would have been in 2002. Um, there was, for whatever reason, there were a lot of guys from Minnesota that were going to the BCHL. Uh, British Columbia Hockey League, and so I decided to jump on that road as well. And I, uh, I don't know if you signed or whatever you do there. Uh, I went and played for the Surrey Eagles, and I went there with my with a great friend of mine. And within six games, I was cut from the team. And so I was like, "Wow, I've I've never been cut before. I don't, oh. I don't know what to do." <laughs> so I uh, get cut from the team. I go back home. And mind you, this is six games into the season. They start a little bit early. So we're talking about we're in September or October at this time. So I end up getting cut by that team. Um, I uh, I then went to the Chicago Steel, which was in the USHL, just because I was in Minnesota and somehow I got connected with the Chicago Steel. I went in the USHL. I got uh, I played one game there. I ended up losing that game. I got cut from that team. And then I went to uh, the Texas Tornado because I had a friend that played down in Texas. So I went to the Texas Tornado. I was there for three weeks, didn't play any games. I got cut by that team. And then I went to the Pittsburgh Forge uh, through my dad and I knew Con- uh, Kevin Constantine, and he was uh, coaching the team at the time. Another thing we have in common, yeah. Yep. So I, I, uh, Kevin Constantine called and said, hey, if you just want to come down and practice, I can't guarantee you games, but hopefully we can get you into some things. And I said, yeah, cool. So I went down to Pittsburgh, and uh, Kevin Constantine got the job with the New Jersey Devils. And the assistant coach there realized we don't really need this kid anymore, so we got cut from that team. So all of this happened, you know, I got cut by four teams before Christmas. Yeah. Four teams in three different leagues in two different countries in three different time zones. So, I mean, and this is this is an honest to God truth. And so, you know, when I was 19 years old, I'm, I have this reflection period of, like, I, I've never been cut before. I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know how this how this whole thing works. So... 
I called my dad and I and I went back home and I just said, Dad, I I don't think I'm going to play anymore. I I can't deal with something like this. I don't I don't know what to do. And so you know he's like, oh, we'll just sit on it, think about it. So that summer there was a hockey camp that came around called Hockey and Sons. And it was a bunch of dads that brought their kids to camp, and they got to actually do the camp together. It was kind of a cool little deal that uh, Troy Ward set up. It still goes, right? I think it's still. It's, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it, still, it went this year at Shattuck. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Hockey and Sons is there, and there's a, a coach there. His name is PK O'Hanley. So I get introduced to PK, and you know he's watching me with the kids and interact with people. You know, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm being a good guy, so. Uh, he and him and my dad ended up talking. My, I think my dad just basically said, "Like, will you just please give him a chance?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening to him, but we need to get him back on the ice. So, uh, PK said, "Yeah, no problem." So I went down to Waterloo Blackhawks camp. Uh, this, that's the team that he was coaching for, Waterloo Blackhawks in the uh, in the USHL, and uh, I was a thirteenth goalie in camp. And so I, I, I kind of knew that I had to do something spectacular, or I'm going back home to Minnesota and. Uh, so I played six games. I had shutouts in four of the games, and I let in one goal in each of the other two games. And I ended up making the team. And so I went from the 13th goalie in camp to the first goalie in camp and ended up ma- making the team. And that was kind of like the rejuvenation of my career. And, and PK was such an excellent coach for me personally. Uh, he was very tough. I remember there was one game that we were playing, and uh, we ended up losing the game 2-1, I think. And I had 44, 44 shots, forty two saves, and so like you know, I feel like I played a pretty game. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not that mad. And uh, PK calls me into the locker room and, or into his office, and he says, "You know, what do you think?" I was like, oh, "I think I played pretty well." And he goes, "Yeah, but you lost." I said, "Yeah, but I, I played a pretty good game. <laughs> a loss is a loss. Oh. And next time you let in more than one goal, if you let in two goals in a game, I'm going to pull you next game." And he held that for the rest of the year. So if I ever let in two goals in a game, he pulled me. And it just gave me this, like, realization, you know, and I'd already gone through Shattuck and, and Bloomington where winning was everything. Right. Um, and then this guy just reiterated again, like, no matter what happens on the ice, like, you must win games. It doesn't matter how well you play. Wow. So, of course, over time, like, I've, I've fought with that because there are times where I'm like, you can't be so focused on winning. But then again, like, you got to focus on winning. you right. got to win games. Yeah, that's so... And so um, ended up playing for about three quarters of the year there, and uh, and and did well. And and I, I remember coming into the locker room one game after or after one practice, and and uh, PK said, "Hey, we got a guy here who wants to talk to you." And I went and talked to him, and it was Dave Haxtell with University of North Dakota. He was the assistant coach at that time. And Dave said, uh, "We like the way that you're playing. Continue to play well. Uh, hopefully, you guys make playoffs and do well in playoffs. And we'll talk to you in the summer." And uh, and that was pretty much the start of me wanting to go to North Dakota and the opportunity to go to North Dakota. So we ended up doing pretty pretty well in playoffs that year. And uh, then I had to make a decision because I was going to be the sixth goalie to go up to the University of North Dakota because they had uh, Josh Sambita, Jake Brandt, uh, Mark Ranfranz, Phil Lamru was coming the next year, and um, Nate Ziegelman. So I was going to be the four, or the sixth goalie to go to the University of North Dakota, but I was like, God, my brother's going to be there. This is going to be, this is going to be amazing. So, and then I went and watched a, a game there, and I was like, Oh, I have to go to this place. So did they? I, I think I know the answer to this, but I, for some reason I cannot remember. Was the new building up? The new building was up. Yep. So, right, they, so I think the new building went up in two thousand one, and okay. at this point it was two thousand three. All right, all right. two thousand two, two thousand three. So then I decided to go to the University of North Dakota, and and uh, I mean at that point. It was, it was like another Shattuck for me, where it was, it was you had as 
as much ice time as you could possibly ask for. You had your weight room whenever you wanted to go in there. You had all the access to some of the most, you know, the the best innovations that there are as far as cold tubs and underwater treadmills and all these different things. You just had access to everything. Right. And so uh, at that point, then I started to really, my, my career, I mean, going from 19 years old and considering quitting to now I'm realizing after a couple of years at North Dakota, like I could play pro. It was just like an amazing transition period. So, and that's one of the things I, I want to, and usually I ask at the end of the program and I will, but I want, I want your advice right now, because we have a lot of players that came on here and you've actually come up a few times on the show because we've had Garrett Metcalf on here and we talk about times in your life that you've had these uh, these bumps in the road. Yep. And we've had Daniel Brickley, who's been cut from teams, and we had, well, he, he says he never got cut from a team. But, but, <laughs> so we ha- we've had Daniel Brickley on here who um, didn't get out of here until after 18. And then we have uh, Trevor Lewis, who got, right. he got cut from his AAA team and then had to go back. And now here you are, and you've you had that epiphany. You had that moment where... You know, you could have sat back and said, you know, it's political. It's, right. It was the coach's fault. It wasn't my fault. But you had to go home and you had to have a gut check, right? Yep. And now you're reaping the benefit of deciding, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and focus. And I'm going to, whatever it was, you worked harder and you w- looked around you. And I can't believe the one goal thing. Like, that's it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, crazy to think about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how. I, I remember when I played juniors and I had a coach that would literally, if I gave up a goal, and they'd pull me in the middle of the game and wait to see how pissed I got when I got pulled. And then he'd be like, you want this? You want, like, like a football coach. Right. Then, then he'd put me back in and I'd be like, no shape to play. Because at one, I'd just been pulled and then I got all riled up and then I got put back in. But I was too young to realize that that, like, how to handle that properly. Yeah. And uh, this was also the guy that taught me to... Uh, go for the puck and you know, to play the puck and then just stack my pads and dump the guy over me. <laughs> so there was some questionable... Questionable advice there. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I, I mean, for it, it's just crazy to see your uh, refocus. And I, I remember you showing me around the locker room. I don't... Like, you and Zach had the little cards and we got to go through the locker rooms and you, just the change in, in you as a person that, that year. Yeah, I... Uh... I saw that there was a. I, I felt like I saw the worst that things could get, and I and I realized I don't want to see that again. I don't want. I I know there, there's two paths that I can go down, and I know if I go down this path that things are going to be really good, and I know that if I go down this path that things are going to be really bad. And I decided I don't want to go down. I have to go down one path. I have to take a step in some direction at some point. And you know, being stagnant is the worst thing that you can do. But at least like. You know, if you start walking down that bad path, you know it's a bad path, and then you can just reroute again. Um, so, and and I just determined that even if I started to take a couple steps the wrong way, you know, at least I was moving forward, and and I was learning something, even if it was the wrong direction. I was at least learning something, and I started to really embrace that this this whole thing. As long as you're moving forward constantly, like good things will happen eventually. It might take a year, two, three, four, five years for you to understand what those good things are, but they will come. And didn't we see that with Truscott? Yeah. Like, he ran into some real issues, too, right? Yeah, he got his team folded in 16s in the middle of the season, and, you know, he didn't know what he was going to do. And, and then he ha- didn't he have a problem with a coach, too? Like Yeah, he had a problem with a coach in juniors. and Ends up having to switch teams, but, yeah. like you're saying... 
Well, I mean, all, all this stuff during University of North Dakota, like that was like the best times of my career. So <laughs> even though this sounds like it was not that great, I mean, these were the best times of my career. Um, so, so we ended up, uh, in, in the three years that I was there, um, I left the school with the uh, best best goals against average, best save percentage, best save percentage per season, and second on and uh, um, second in wins and second in shutouts. So, from going again, like I, I just I, I want to hammer away the point that I was at the brink of like you can't play anymore to all of a sudden going and doing great things, setting records and playing for national championships back to back. Yeah, so three. Yeah, there we uh, the first year that I was there, we ended up losing to Denver one nothing uh, with about two and a half minutes left. I was playing in this game in the quarterfinals. The next year, we went to the championship game. We lost to Denver four two, um, and then the year after that, we lost to uh, in the semifinals. We lost to Boston College six five, which. I've I've watched the tape so many times, <laughs> and I've convinced myself I didn't play that poorly, but it was probably one of the worst games that I ever played uh, for the University of North Dakota. Well, all right, and let's talk about the backstory there too, because I know the backstory. You had there was a offer on the table, basically, uh, the, right? And then there, yeah. I don't I don't think you played that. I don't I don't blame those goals on you but as a go- I goalie sympathize a lot too right right and so I look back and there's probably one goal that was like you should not let this goal in during this particular game uh, but nonetheless I did but the 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 idea of turning pro was heavily dangling in front of my face yep and so um you know when, when you're a kid that doesn't make any money and is on the brink of not being able to play anymore to now you have the opportunity to play in the NHL like I wasn't ready for that yet I wasn't ready for the psychology of that yet. Nonetheless, uh, we go into the summer, and it it is determined that I'm I'm going to turn pro. And uh, at, at a left, you know, you, you go through all these things, and and anybody that's a, a former pro is probably going to look at this and be like, "Oh man, I know exactly what you went through." But I, um, the agent that I had at the time uh, is a guy named Neil Sheehy, and oh. and I and I and he I played her, and I and I say his name because like. This guy has probably one of the biggest hearts that I've ever, and he's ne- and, and he's never lied to me, almost to a fault. I wish he would have lied to me <laughs> because during a lot of the times of my career, you have a lot of people that are telling you what you want to hear and not telling you what you need to hear. And so I had all these people that are like, oh, you should do this, you should do this. And Neil's like, oh, I don't know. And then sure enough, it's, it's like if somebody came to you and said, and this literally happened to me. I, I was playing, uh, this, this is when I was in Austria. Um, but I had a guy say to me, you have to go back home. You played such a great year here, and this was after I had surgery and everything, but you had such a great year here, and it's time for you to go back and play in the NHL. And in the meantime, I have Neil, who was my agent at the time, saying, you know what, you should really just make a career in Europe. I think it's going to be best for you to do that. Well, what would you listen to? I'm not going to listen to the guy that says, no, just stay in Europe. I'm going <laughs> to listen to the guy that says, you get, you have to go back. It's the NHL right now. Yeah. So I look back on these things, and, and I ended up coming to terms with it after my career ended, I told Neil, I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry I fired you twice, but you have never lied to me, and I appreciate you so much, and, and it was kind of a humbling thing. So uh, I digress. We uh, So now I have the opportunity to turn pro, and I fired my agent right before I went and did this, so I ended up signing for about half of what, <laughs> what Neil could have got me. <laughs> and I signed with a team that had the most storied goaltender in the entire history of the NHL, uh, being with the Devils and Marty Brodeur. So why did you sign with the Devils? 
A couple reasons. Uh, one, because it was an opportunity to play professionally with my brother. And I thought that that would be a really cool. Deal. I thought that's what it was. I thought that was the whole reason. And no, you know, if if you look at the writing, or if you looked at the writing on the wall, like Marty Berger had played so many games, and kind of the pitch that they kept giving goalies yeah. was, "Oh, we're going to start, we're going to start slowing them down. Yeah. Right? You know, you're going to get your opportunity quicker." So, th- I went, I went for it. In the year, the year that I went there. The two years that I was there, uh, he played the first most yeah. and the second most know, games that I he's know. ever played in his career. <laughs> well, see, he got into this. It's funny because he got into this mode where he was going to set all the records. Right. So he got, he was just selfish. But he's a, he's also an NHL legend, so he was just doing what was within right. his right, right? Like, yep. So in that, that what what any reasonable person would do is, I want to break records, I'm going to go after this. Yeah, and that cost you. And it's funny because when... Uh, Every time the Utah Grizzlies call me to to e-bug, I used to say, "I just want to get. Well, I want to do it till I'm 35," and then I was, and then <laughs> then I'm like, "Well, they keep calling, so I'm just going to do it till I'm 40." Right. And then they keep calling, and Tegan's like, "Quit being Marty Broder and give Jordan a chance," <laughs> right. because there was Oliver Frage was here, and Oliver could have been doing the e-bug, and there were lots of other guys that were here. But I'm like, "Well, they just keep calling." Yeah. So here I am at 46. This will be my 20th year doing it. Right. And it's funny because Tegan always puts that in there. He's like, oh, you're just doing the same thing that everybody else around here, that <laughs> Marty Roder did to Jordan. But so I was, you know, I had a lot of conversations with you when this was going on. Yep. And then, and but what I was referring to, wasn't it Washington that was going to sign you? But it was thought, Colorado. And they, oh, it was the Avalanche. Yep. But they thought you gave up too many goals in the championship. Yeah. So because of the six goals you gave up. Because of one game that I, you know, and that was a bizarre thing to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was the other opportunity of the other team that I could have possibly signed with. And then because of one game, they said, oh, he's not ready. And I've since gone well, back and I've talked to Neil about this again because he's honest with me. And uh, and I just said, you know, would you have had me stay back for one more year? And he said yes. And if you look at the team that we had that next year, it was crazy how good that team was. And they ended up losing, I think, in the semifinals or something or um but nonetheless and what we threw in just that we were talking about a minute ago yep go uh, ahead so there was an interview with Sidney crosby the other day where they said you know take us back to you know right after planet shattuck and then you, you know you're finishing up your career and he said oh i was gonna play college hockey the two offer the two opportunities was to, he went to the queue right went, yep. or, yeah so you either go to the queue or he had the opportunity. He was going to play at the University of North Dakota, which I, I never knew. And yeah, you, I, didn't know I, I thought maybe you would know. Since, you, but so he he told those guys that yeah, I was going to play at the University of North Dakota, and those would have been the same it, it, years. It, it would have been the same years. I mean, it would have been back to back. I would I would say I would guarantee four straight championships if we had Sydney there. <laughs> Sidney Crosby, Zach Parisi, Jonathan Taves, yep, uh, uh, Ryan Duncan, T.J. Oshie. I mean, like it was it was crazy, unreal. It was crazy. That would have been. I mean. Yeah. Just legendary. Yeah, it already was. I mean, the the other names just minus Sidney Crosby, but it, to have Crosby in there, that would have been. On. Yeah. Okay, so that was the thing I remember. I remember, and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I thought we kind of knew going into the national champ or going into the national playoffs that you and Zach were both coming out at the end of that. Well, Zach is, Zach was already playing because Zach played in the uh, um, Zach was in the American League that year. That was a lockout year. Oh right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was that was my my turn, my possibility. It, it looked the writing was on the wall that it was going to happen. Yeah. So, and I thought we knew that you were going to sign with Colorado. For some reason, I was thinking the Caps, but I I knew that like we knew that you were going to go, and then 
you told me like yeah they said I gave up too many goals in that game yeah that is unbelievable yeah and they had so much opening in there that you could have easily gone in there and played a couple years in the AHL I know I know <laughs> looking back I'm you sorry, know, trust, me, trust me I've looked I've reanalyzed my entire career I'm so just, many times I'm just throwing rock salt in all the wounds here I'm sorry but I mean it's just a, it's amazing to me because I experienced it with you yeah. th- through you and yeah you know and uh it's just it's crazy the decisions that are made at that level based on one the, game. the the only thing that i can say is you know during the course of my career and any other time you know i tried to make the best decision that i could based on the information that i had and yeah. sometimes you have the wrong information and you're making you know a poor decision based on bad information and it's just the way that it goes and all you can do is just try to figure out how you can get that um so now i sign with the devils and uh, I I go through you know your your normal training training camp and it was cool like I, sitting there and Scott Gomez is shooting on me and Patrick Eliash and I'm like oh this is amazing this yeah. is incredible so I go through the normal protocol they had uh, Marty Berdur and Scott Clemenson in the NHL and they sent uh, me and Frank Doyle down to the minors and um, ended up like actually doing really well in my first year pro and I had a winning record and, and my numbers were fine. I think I would maybe had like a nine fifteen or something through the year and for, for, for a rookie, I mean, that was totally fine for me. So I'm, I'm thinking, but, but the weird part was that we lost, like we weren't making playoffs. This was the first team I'd ever played on in my whole life. That was a losing team. And I just could not get, I could not get over this and I would, you know, like, being very angry at practice and not understanding why we were doing certain things and all. And uh, Chris Ferreri, he was my goalie coach at the time, and he said something to me that, well, it's it seared into my brain. And he said, you know, down in the minors, winning's not that important. It's about development. And I was just like, winning's uh, always important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I can't I can't do this. I can't go with, I can't be a part of losing and, and people that are okay with losing. So um, that that kind of stuck with me. We ended up not even making playoffs that year. I think that, you know, we were one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, so I come back next year, and I just had – I was on a mission of, of I am going to be, as you know, playing as best as I possibly can, and, and I'm going to make a push. And uh, so I came in and, and uh, was playing well, and, and fortunately in, my, in that training camp I got to play in the NHL, and I got to play against uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And then I got to play against uh, the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden. And I mean, like, man, you can't even imagine. And it's just exhibition, but it was just an incredible experience. And so I'm sitting there on the bench. Kevin Weeks is starting the game. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is this is Madison Square Garden. This is incredible. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody starts tapping me on the shoulder, and they're like, "You're going." And I'm looking. I'm like looking around. I'm like, "No, Weeks is playing." I look down. And I'm watching up on the screen. We're six minutes into the game. I was supposed to go in halfway through. And I'm watching the screen, and uh, Sean Avery ran Kevin Weeks. Kevin Weeks is out, and now oh. i got to go. I'm like, I am not ready to do this at all. <laughs> so anyway, I went and played, and, and, I, and I you know played fine. I think we lost the game 3-2 or something like that. But it was like Brennan Shanahan scored on me on a five-on-three out of one time. I'm like, I don't care. He's done 200 of those. That's amazing. And I'm happy he did that. So... We ended up uh, getting done with the game. We lost the game. We go back home, and uh, you know, in the NHL, like you don't pack your bag, you don't do any, you don't unpack your bag, you don't do anything. So I, you know, leave them, leave them with my bag. Uh, I get to the rink the next morning, and I have to do a uh, a video session with how I played in the game. So we're sitting there, we're going through the video session, and the video session is running a little bit late. The goalie sitting here saying, or the goalie coach is saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, and I'm like. But I'm not Marty Berdur. I'm like I, I don't play like him, so I'm not going to do that. Like that doesn't make sense. And uh, after me having 
a couple of rebuttals to him, he finally snapped on me. He said, this is exactly why you're never going to play in the NHL. Whoa. I mean, this is my second training camp my whole life. And this, <laughs> and I have a guy telling me that I'm never going to play. I mean, he's just devastated. So, like I said, we kind of pushed that a little bit too late. I run into the locker room, and I get up my gear on as quickly as I possibly can. And uh, I realize I don't have footbeds for or the soles of my skates. So I'm, I don't know where these things are. So like I run into the locker into the big locker room and I'm like, hey, you guys have any? And they're like, no, we don't have any. I run back. I search my gear again. Run back. Are you sure you guys don't have any? Even if they're Bauer or whatever. No, we don't have anything. I run back, and uh, it, mind you, I'm I put my skates on with no soles. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, go. I'm going you know, into a training camp with no soles. My standing on rivets. Yeah, exactly. So I I put all my stuff on and I put my I grab my uh, chest protector and I put my hands through the sleeves and. Though my soles and my skates were in my chest protector, so when those guys came back the night before, they okay. must have put them in yeah. my. So mind you, I'm late now, and I'm late to my training camp. And uh, as I as I come out the door, I see Brent Sutter, and he's sitting there staring at me. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And I start walking past me. He says, "Don't you dare walk past me." I'm like, "This is not good." <laughs> <laughs> So I go and I try to practice with, you know, my feet bleeding through my rivets on my skates and and uh, I get done with practice and uh, Chris Lamarillo, who's the assistant general or the uh, general manager for my team in Lowell, he came in and he said, hey, uh, Lou wants to talk to you. Lou Lamarillo wants to talk to you. I said, okay, here we go. So I walk in and uh, I was like, hey, Lou. And he's like, so what's your excuse for being late? And I said, listen, Lou. And he goes, no, the answer is that there is no excuse. You were late. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you're you pack your stuff. You go to the miners. Okay, so oh, wow. so I get my uh, you know get my stuff and I drive down to the miners. We had an exhibition game that next night, and uh, I can't remember who we were playing against, but I ended up tearing my hip in that game, and uh, that was kind of like the downfall of my career with the Devils. Yeah, and you had I mean there was some some really bad stuff, including. It, it, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but it was just the way that things were handled. Yeah, I was very disappointed. And your and your dad stepped in. He did. I remember that. I remember your dad telling me about that phone call he made, and he basically, and so the, and then you don't want you don't have your dad calling in for you, but you know, but, <laughs> but he, right. he took it upon himself, you know, just being a pro and yeah. speaking to another pro and just saying, hey, like. Yeah, if you don't fix stuff, neither of my boys will be playing for you the next year. Yeah. Isn't that basically was, what he said? I, I think there was something along those lines. And the weird thing is, is that the coach of your minor league team lives in Salt Lake as well and lives up by you in Park City. Who's that? Uh, Kleinador. What? Yeah. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah. Kirk. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to go pay, pay a visit to him. I did, yeah, I, was, I didn't know you didn't know that. No. Okay. All right, so now our, we're, man, we're flowing through this. How are we on time? <laughs> All right, so we're, we might make this episode a little longer because these, okay. these are amazing stories, and we don't get these a lot. And well, like I, like I said, I mean, when when you had asked me to do this, and I started jotting stuff down, there were so many things that I forgot about my career yeah. that were very you know impactful in my life and in my career, and how things have gone and how they've taken me now. And well, let's talk about your hip tear, and let's talk about a little bit how the team dealt with that because we have players now that are dealing with hip tears or they're dealing with concussions. Yep. How does how does your team deal with the fact that you now have a tear? What do they think? So I tear my labrum in my hip, and or I, I feel something's wrong. Like I felt essentially the the feeling that I got was my femur coming out of the socket or the acetabulum and then slamming back into the labrum and the acetabulum, and uh, that that's just your your hip joint. And I tried explaining this to my trainers, and you know essentially. 
in college, if you're injured, like it's it's immediate, we're going to go to a doctor, we're going to get x-rays, we're going to get MRIs, we're going to confirm that this is something, then we're going to shut you down. And in pro, it's we're paying you money, and you're going to do the work until we say you're not going to do the work anymore. Isn't that crazy? It's, it is crazy. I it, mean, you're, you're a signed athlete that you're... You're supposed to be an asset that they should be looking after right. and saying, you know, this guy should be in our organization for 10 years. Right. And we, if, we, if we handle these things right, he can be. Right. But instead... So instead, you know, I, I'm initially told, oh, well, you have a groin issue. So I go and I start rehabbing my groin. It's not doing anything. Oh, you need to f- stretch more. So I start stretching more. Even though, like, I, I can't even breathe because I have so much pain in my hip. They're like, oh, you just need to stretch through it. Okay. Oh, now you have an adductor problem. Oh, you have an IT band problem. Oh, it's, you know, it's your psoas is too tight. And so I'm rehabbing all of these things, and I'm just progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I'm playing poorly. If you look at my stats that year, they're horrible stats, you know, compared to my first year. And, and that shouldn't be the case. Right. Um, I'm not winning games. I'm letting in, I, I remember letting in a goal from the red line, which I haven't done since I was a eight years old you know like <laughs> i haven't done it since last night <laughs> <laughs> so all these things are like and and now the psychology of this is like crushing me because i have people that are telling me you're not hurt and i know deep down there's something seriously wrong so we were playing against wilkesbury scranton uh which is the penguins uh affiliate and i was sitting there and there was a guy from minnesota he's a goalie his name is john curry and i'm sitting there and i'm like hey didn't you have a hip tear and he said yeah and i said well what happened like what did they do and he said did you have an mri and i said yeah he said, did it show up negative? And I said, yes. And he said, you have to have an MR arthrogram, which is where they actually inject the fluid into your joint. And then uh, when they do the MRI, it kind of like lights everything up and it shows you where there are tears in the soft tissue. And so I asked the doctors, can I go and get this done? And, you know, after a couple of weeks, finally they said yes. And sure enough, I go and I get it done. They get the report the next day and I have a labrum tear. And I'm like, I told you guys this. And now we're in February. Yeah. Uh. And this happened, this, happened, this happened in training camp, and now we're in February. So, like, I'm at the point where I can barely walk, you know, and now I think that they realize, like, we made a big mistake. So uh, they, t- <laughs> they told me, well, go talk to our doctor. So I say, okay. And I, and I said, have you done hip surgeries? He's like, yeah, I think I can do it. So, <laughs> so I'm absolutely not getting surgery done by you. <laughs> There's no chance. And so they fly me out to Vail, Colorado, where Mark Philippon is, and he's kind of the guru behind hip surgeries. And uh, so I go, and, and, you know, Lou was really good at this point. Lou Lamarillo was really good at this point and making sure that he took care of me. I mean, he put me in the four seasons there for two weeks, and, and you know, the surgery was taken care of. All the rehab was done there. Did you fly your parents out, too? Flew my parents out there yeah. as well. Yep. So at that point, he did everything very well. Uh, and then the rest of the season goes by because I'm on the shelf, and they, uh, they offered me a qualifying offer. Qualifying offers are, are great, and they would have given me a max in the minors, and they would have raised my NHL salary by 10%. And, uh, because, and again, this is the ego. It, uh, just, it got in the way, and because of how everything went down, I just said, I don't want to deal with it. I signed overseas. And uh, probably uh, it was definitely a turning point in my career. Yeah. Um, not in a good way, but as far as a turning point in my life, it was probably the best. Really? And, yep. And so, and, and I'll get into that in, in a bit here. But so, I signed with Red Bull Salzburg um, and ended up playing there for for the entire next year. And everything was great and played essentially all the games for the entire season. We ended up losing in Gavin, uh, game seven of the finals. And uh, this was exactly where they had that conversation with the guy. You got to go back home. You got to go now. You got to go now. And so, I went back home and... Uh, 
there was no opportunities. There was actually, at that season, that summer, there were 23 free agent goalies with NHL experience and then me. Yeah. So there were no opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I ended up uh, I ended up signing a contract with Pittsburgh in their American League team, which essentially sent me right down to the East Coast League. And when I got down there, I was in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is a horrible. Uh, horrible place, which yeah. is made famous by Paul Bissonnette. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I went there and I played and I just, I, I couldn't do it. And I called my agent, who unfortunately wasn't Neil at this time because I had fired him again. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I called my agent and I said, hey, I need to get out of here. And he sent me back over to, to Austria. To the team that you played. Wasn't it? You flipped sides, right? Yeah. So I so we lost to, when I was playing for Red Bull, we lost to Klagenfurt in the finals. And then that next year I went to Klagenfurt and we lost to Red Bull. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like in Game 7 as well. In Game 7 as well. So, like the reverse Disney story. Yep. So this is this is where it gets this is where again the agent thing comes into play. Um, that was really interesting. So I had a European agent over there, and and we're determining we're halfway through the year. I'm in Klagenfurt, and uh, and it's time to negotiate a contract because things are going well. Uh, kind of, things were going okay. Uh, I went there, and they kind of like in the in the media they they portrayed me as this is this is the guy that's going to come in and change the season and all this other stuff. So I get in there and I'm like, oh, this is sweet. Like everybody loves me. This is awesome. Well, I ended up having the, in my first eight games, I had the best saves percentage, uh, best goals against average, and I was 0-8. <laughs> oh, man. So my the eighth game that I lost, it was a shutout going into a shootout. Okay. And uh, I ended up letting one goal in, in the shootout, and the entire we were playing at home, and the entire crowd started chanting the other guy's name, the other goalie's name. Like, they didn't want me to play anymore. <laughs> wow. So now, you know, fortunately, think a couple of things changed, and we ended up starting to win games, and, you know, things started to go okay. So at that point, we're negotiating the contract. I call my agent. I'm like, hey, and, and, and he, call, or he calls me and says, we want to start negotiating. Okay, cool. And I said, what are most guys getting? Most of the imports, what are they getting? He said, um, you know, probably around, like, 90, 95,000. I said, okay, cool. Yeah, let's ask for 90, 95, and we'll call it good. So I get a call from the coach the next day, and he says, uh, "What the f are you doing?" I was like, "Nothing. I'm coming. I'm, I'll be in practice. Like I'll be there in an hour." He's like, "No. What is your agent? What are you and your agent trying to come up with right now?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Just get to the rink, and we'll talk about it." So I'm like, "What? What is going on here?" I tried to call my agent. He wasn't answering. I get to the rink, and I'm like, "We have." He calls me into the office. Coach calls me in the office. Says, What's going on? He says. Uh, why would your agent ask for that amount of money? And I said, well, that's what all the other guys are making. He said, there's not one guy on the team that's making 135,000 euros. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I said, I didn't tell him to ask for that. He said, oh, well, that's what he asked for. And so now it was like turned oh, yeah. on me, oh, and now geez. their their counter offer was 43,000 euros. Wow. <laughs> so, so now I know, like, I'm on the back end of this, and this isn't going to happen. And sh- sure enough, we lost, and we lost to uh, Salzburg. And uh, I go in and I talk to him at the end of the season. I just said, hey, you know, you know, when do you want me to give you guys a call? And he said, oh, just give us a call in like four or five days, you know, get home and travel safe and all that stuff. So I say, okay, cool. And I get back home and I start calling all the numbers that they gave me and all of them are off. All of them are off the hook. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, they signed Andy Kyoto like two weeks later or something. So um, that was my experience in Austria. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the following year, I went to camp with the Rangers. And so... 
I'm gonna say, yeah, go ahead. I know I'm rambling here. No, no, no. I just want to say, all right, now you're with the Rangers. So you started with Martin Brodeur. Yep. And then you go to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Yep. And now you're <laughs> Lundqvist. <laughs> so how did the things go with the Rangers? Uh, number one. Considering Lundqvist is still there. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, and uh, and since Marc-Andre won a couple of cops, and yeah. he's done all right, too. He's so. doing okay. Uh, so I would say, if, if I look back at that, I wasn't necessarily prepared to go to that camp. Um I, I, I can't remember if I just didn't have a good summer working out or what the deal was, but I was a little bit heavier than I had normally gone to camps. Um, I, I ran a VO2, and, you know, I, I wasn't running it the way that I wanted it to. And Was that because of my barbecues? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I just, for whatever reason, I wasn't prepared. And I, and I think that, like, now when I look back at it, um, based on the injuries that I've had, uh, whether it's, like, head traumas, neck traumas, upper cervical problems, things like that, all these things reflect how I felt then, but at the time I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so I go to camp, go with the Rangers. Things aren't going well. I basically get sent right down to the miners, uh, which I think was in Hartford at the time. And um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. They were going to say, "Hey, you got to go and play for you know the East Coast League team," and and I and I didn't want to go and do that. So um, I went there on a tryout anyway. So I, there was no contract that was involved. So I went back home and at I waited, and th- this was a difficult time, and this is something I also had never done, but I'm sitting here waiting. I didn't have a, I wasn't playing. I'm waiting for a contract wherever it is, and at that point, like, you're, you're pretty much whatever comes up, you got to take. And so the contract or the, the opportunity that came up was in Lawrenceskog, uh, Norway, which is right outside of Oslo. And I was like, man, I, I don't want to go play in, in Oslo, but I've been sitting here for three months. Like, I have to go and do something. I have to go and make money again. And so I went over there, and uh, their import rules are a little bit different, and there was only – there was one American. No, actually, there were two other Canadians, and that was it. Otherwise, there was no North Americans whatsoever. And so um, those were pretty much the only people that I could talk to. Like, the Norwegian culture is very uh, – keep everybody at arm's length, and you're not really, like, allowed – I mean, it's a lot like Minnesota, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but, you know, there was – It's uh, like Park City. That's yeah, why you yeah, fit exactly. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't talk to me. So um, it, it was a it was a really interesting year. We ended up uh, we lost some games, another game seven that year. I lost a <laughs> lot of game sevens. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, uh, so we lost game seven there uh, in the semifinals, which is actually you know that, that was the farthest that the team had ever made it before. So like I kind of was proud of that. Like hey, you know at least I'm going in the right direction again. And uh, ended up going home that year and. Again, like it got to the next, like the problem that started happening is that on the NHL side, I was viewed as a flight risk because if things didn't work out, I was going to go to Europe. And on the European side, I was viewed as a risk because I couldn't stay with another team. Like they didn't know if I was going to go back the next year. So it was like nobody was making any commitments and I wasn't making any commitments, you know? So it was like all all the things that I shouldn't have been doing is exactly what I was doing. It's like dating in junior high. Yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> nobody will just communicate. Nobody will be honest. Exactly. And you play a bunch of games. Exactly. And then your agent goes and... And the agent's making his cut every yeah. time, so he doesn't care, you know? Right. So uh, the next year I ended up... Uh, I had to sign a second league contract in Germany with the understanding that if I went there... There was actually a guy from Minnesota, um, uh, University of Minnesota as well, named Kellen Briggs that was there. He had some groin issues. And so they... they called me up and said, hey, we'd like you to come out. It's probably only going to be a couple of weeks. My agent said, listen, like you have to get over there. You have to start playing. And hopefully what we can do is 
once the other guy comes back, there's going to be an opening in the in the uh, DEL in the top German league. So I said, yeah, that's cool. We'll we'll do that. So I ended up going there. Ended up playing really well. I don't think I lost a game, which I mean that ended up being great for me. And there was a team in Augsburg, Germany, that uh, had. Now we want to talk about the Colorado connection. Um, oh, I can't think of what the uh, goalie's name was off the top of my head. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back. Um, Tyler Wyman. Oh yeah, Tyler Wyman was there, and he had groin groin issues as well. So they brought me in to basically take over for for him. And so I, I went to Augsburg, and it was very convenient that. Uh, I went there, and I think I played five games, won five games. I had a 944 save percentage wow. and like a 1-6 goals against. And I think that Tyler, the understanding that I got is that Tyler was realizing that his job might be in jeopardy. And then sure enough, he came back, and then I was on the on the bench the rest of the year. All right. So that was like my one chance to like really get things going again, and it was cut short um, you know, for forces that were outside of what I could handle. Right. So then the next year, at least I played well enough and played enough games that somebody would sign me before the season. Unfortunately, it was in Italy, which is kind of like when you start playing in Italy, it's it's time to reflect whether or not you should continue playing hockey anymore <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. determine that you might have to take a different route. And so I ended up going to Italy. Uh, we ended up, we, lose, we lost game six in the finals that year. Wow. Uh, <laughs> kind of a... It might have actually been Game Seven, to be honest with you, <laughs> and so um, it ended up uh, that was that was my last year, and and after my year in Norway, I tore my hip again, so I had another surgery, and then at the end of that season, the guy basically said like, if you continue to play hockey, you're going to have a total hip replacement by the time you're 35. Yeah, I tried to get you to come here. You remember that? I tried. I yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. In in hindsight, if I wanted to continue playing. It would have probably, but it was before I was even done. Like it was yeah, like probably, it was, I think it was the year before you went to Italy. We yeah. tried we tried to get you to sign with the Utah Grizzlies, and yeah. I don't think they offered you enough money off the bat. They didn't offer you starter money, right? But yeah, it I tried I tried to get you here. Yeah, because so, we bring you here all the time. Like you were, you're kind of a Utah guy, so you've been. I'm getting there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to get there. Uh, so. So then, yeah, we uh, it was that was my last year, and and I had to make this determination of what am I going to do, you know? If and, and it really came down to a summer of if I get offered a regular job, I'm going to take a regular job. If I get offered a hockey job, I'm going to take a hockey job. I just I was at this point in my life where I was like, there had been so many things in hockey that I had seen that I just as a young kid, you're looking up at this, and I and I just could not have anticipated these things would happen. Like you just sit there and you think, like, I want to get to the NHL. It's the best thing ever. And when I got there and the glimpses that I had, granted, you know, I'm not a guy making $8 million a year either, but the glimpses that I had were so disheartening, I guess. Yeah. Um, you saw the other side of the curtain. Right. You saw the, I saw the business side of things, and I, yeah. and I wasn't overly excited about it. So I came to this point where I had to make a determination of, am I, am I going to play or am I going to go and get a real job? And there was a guy that was another hockey guy. Actually, you know him, uh, Dave Inazzo. I know Ozzy very well. And so Dave Inazzo um, basically called and said, I'm not telling you to retire, but if you want to retire, you might want to look at uh, might want to look at Med Device. And I and I walked in there, and I had had two hip surgeries, and I got to see a guy named Chris Larson, um, who's the best hip surgeon in the world, arguably. And I got to see him do a surgery, and I'm I'm watching the screens, and I'm watching the surgery take place, and I've had, and I'm listening to the words, and I'm like, I know what these words are, and then I'm starting to put this into what what he's doing to this person I had done to me, and it just like intrigued me right away and i saw the relationship that the rep had with that dave had with uh dr larson and i'm like 
yeah, this is this would be amazing. This would be amazing to do. So I ended up committing to it. I had to move up to Fargo, and about four months into my job is when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And so it was just, man, like as I sit here and I talk about it, it was just like year after year after year of just like, what is happening here? Yeah. What is going on? Life just keeps coming out. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So I ended up, um, I worked that job for about two years. I found an opportunity that was going to bring me back to Minneapolis so I could be closer to my family, closer to my mom. And uh, then I started, and so my my job with, with the original company was doing orthopedics and sports medicine. So a lot of the injuries that I had had, I got to watch the surgeries on. I got to understand them. I got to speak to some of the greatest minds um, and then walk them through. Like a lot of people will ask me, uh, what do you do as a sales rep for medical device? And, and I humbly tell them, like, I'm, there are times where I'm telling the surgeon, you should do this or you shouldn't do this. And they're like, there's no way that you're doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm dead serious. So then I was doing orthopedics uh, and sports medicine for about two years. And then I took another job with a different company uh, that was closer to Minneapolis uh, that was doing neuro and spine, which now, you know, with all the concussions and head traumas that I had taken, now I get to talk to some of the brightest neurosurgeons in the world. Uh, and, and I just have had, since I've been done playing, I've just had this like really cool experience of access to all the, th- all the things that I find really intriguing. Um, and, and a lot of it revolves around human performance and getting people to, uh, achieve more than they could even consider, they could even fathom, uh, from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, and then also understanding what the pitfalls are behind these things of why people are unable to achieve these things and how can you get them over those humps. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, that's stuff you had to learn just on the go. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. So now... This is what you're doing. Now you live in Utah, and now we're trying to get you into coaching. Yep. And because, uh, I mean, you have, not, I mean, the hockey knowledge, you have the injury knowledge. So if you if you start coaching these kids, you can help them, and you can be the guy that says, no, this kid's hurt. He needs to right. be shut down and needs to be fixed, yep. rehabilitated. And that's those are huge assets. And, I mean, we're, we're uh, you've obviously talked to Troy Davenport, who's struggled with a back concussion. Still, still struggling really bad. And got completely hosed by a team yep. that said, "No, you're you're, not, you're just not trying to get better." Yep. So those are things we need to talk about. I also, I mean, we've, we're running really long here. So what I want to do is I want to bring you back. We're going to talk more about Utah hockey. And we're going to talk about the youth hockey because I've brought you here for since 2000. Yep. And so you had the opportunity to see guys. Um, and we were talking earlier about the. We gave you the picture of Trevor Lewis's first pro goal. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was against me. <laughs> it was against you. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, you, you're you're embedded here, like there, and you've been able to see some of these players. Like the example we were using with Metcalf earlier is that when he was a little kid, there was a point in his life where you just told him you should quit. Do you remember this? Like, I don't. I hope to God. I, I hope I didn't. <laughs> no, listen. I, I, I remember. Turned out I, okay for him. No, <laughs> because I, I kind of got angry with you when you did it at my camp because I was going off your dad's lessons. I've ran my I've ran my entire camp off your dad's lessons. I stole my camp idea from Shattuck St. Mary's, from the stuff your dad did. That's why my camp was set up the way it was set up is because it's all like, why reinvent the wheel? Right. Right? Shattuck was doing a good thing. So the mindset going in was these kids were going to have fun. That we're, No matter what happened last season, they're going to come in and they're going to be better players. They're going to be better people. And we're going to just make sure that we keep their passion for the game. So I was a little bit upset when you told, and then it came back to me, that you met Calf, which we all know, and he is the first to admit it. He would make sure his equipment would malfunction or whatever during the hardest drills. 
And he would talk about it. And at one point, you pull them out. You're like, dude, you should just quit. You're wasting your dad's money. You don't work when you come out here. <laughs> and so I got mad at you. But you know what it did for him is it that was the that's that was his call to action. That was the time when he said, you know, Jordan's right. I need it. Like that's that was the first time anybody had really called him out on it. Yeah. And he admitted that on our show. He was like, yeah, Jordan called me out on it, and uh, it cut him pretty deep. And now he's a freaking drafted NHL prospect. Drafted by the Ducks. <laughs> he just finished training camp with the Ducks and is back. Cool. Uh, he's playing college hockey. And it's it's cool. But anyway, you've been here and you coached the kids that are all playing college now. Nick Halloran and all those guys that are playing all came through my camp. Yeah. Alex, when he was a player and then again as a counselor. And so you've been a part of that. And I want to get more input from you on uh, what you're seeing with the growth of hockey here and what you're seeing as, as a guy that grew up with an NHL legend father and a guy that's had shots at the NHL and you grew up with hockey as your culture and then you come to Utah where hockey is secondary. Yeah, for sure. To, to a lot of us, it's not. I mean, to me, to Ben, to Nick Halloran, to Truscott and those guys, it is life. But it's for a lot of the parents, they don't see the mindset. We're getting there. I was telling you yesterday or the day before that we've had, we have the most players in the NCAA that we've ever had, men and women. Yeah. The fact that we have women in the NCAA now, we never did before. And now we've got four or five players in the NCAA, and, you know, women in the NCAA. And we get, so the, there's a transition, but I want to I get more from you now that you're here and now that you're seeing it. And I, I want to just talk local hockey, and I want to have you guys back in and talk more about that kind of stuff and, and just more Utah hockey. Yeah, that'd be great. But I'm glad we got to hear your story and those struggles and the paths that you took and, like – it's interesting to hear you tell it now because I, I lived through it with you and we we talked all the time while you were going through all that stuff and it was, um, you mentioned that your ego got in the way a little bit on a couple of them and I don't know if you remember this but I saw a, uh, after your first year pro, I saw your, um, I've, I've told you this before, they had a, uh, you know, your analysis and it said, even his stance is cocky. <laughs> oh my God. I don't remember that, no. but, but I can appreciate whoever wrote that. Yeah, Peter. It was uh, Peter Menino is the one that sent it to me. He's like, he's like, here's the profile on your boy, and he sent it to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like Jordan. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that does sound about right. But anyway, I mean, you. It's just, it's like with Kevin McClelland here. You are such a huge resource that we're going to just tap into, and we're going to make. As long as you're here and as long as you're willing, we're going to make you like just yeah, I would give. Love to. The, we need it. We yeah. we just want your knowledge and we want your input and we want as much like coaching or whatever we can get for the kids around here because we don't have that insight. I didn't have what what you had. Like it, you know, you know my my history with North Dakota is that I I was lucky enough to be playing junior B <laughs> in North Dakota and then there was a junior college. And then I got some classes at North Dakota and, you know, like that was, that was my hockey history is that I just happened to like be the guy that was there. Other guys would get hurt and I would just be there. So to have, to, to be the bottom tier guy, it's, it's cool to hear the stories from the top tier guy. And you're the guy, like, we need to hear these stories from you. And there's, I think there's a lot of good things that you can put into this market while you're here. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So, um, that's it. That was a longer episode than yeah, I, than I, I apologize thought. apologize if I got rambling a little, little the, bit too much. I, we, uh, I, I looked at our producer and I'm like, do I need to wrap up? And he's like, no, because this is <laughs> this is the stuff that the audience wants to hear. These are the things that people want to hear about. Because we don't... Ben, 
Ben's our, you know, he's got the pretty hair and he's he's our he's our he's our prima donna guy, but Ben can't tell that story. Ben, how was nope. your how was your experience with your first NHL contract? Uh yeah, never got one. Still waiting. <laughs> I bl- I blame Dave. Yeah. Dave Amani, yeah, like he, he, He's my, our own, he's, yeah, our he's own, my agent. He's he our, just didn't do the job. So. <laughs> so those are the things. Like we, we need this, and these are the conversations we need to have. So Jordan, I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming out. Yeah, this was awesome. It's good to have you back in town, Ben. Thanks for coming out. Yep. And uh, we'll talk more hockey equipment. We'll bring you back in again, of course. <laughs> okay. If you have not subscribed and you want to hear more about what's going on with Utah hockey, because we're just about to kick off a new season which means we're going to have lots of stuff getting ready. We're going to have all the college coaches in. We're going to talk about high school hockey. Uh, I'm going to get the president of, of high school hockey in here. We're going to talk about what's going on with that. We're going to talk about all the travel teams that are going. Uh, we're going to talk about how our pros are getting ready for the season and where they're going to end up. Is Daniel going to be in the NHL or is he going to be in the AHL? Uh, right now it's projected that he's going to make the team. So we're going to follow that. We're going to keep all this stuff going, and the only way you can get it is by subscribing to this podcast because we're the only ones that cover hockey in Utah. <laughs> So all you got to do is text the word puck to 57500 and that'll pop right back up on your phone and you you can subscribe there or go to kslsports.com we have all kinds of cool podcasts on there and uh, I am going to introduce you to Scott Mitchell in a minute he's got tons of podcasts in there about he talks about football I don't know anything about football <laughs> <laughs> Well he knows everything about football but if you if you if you're looking for some cool podcasts to listen to just check out kslsports.com under podcasts and uh, for Ben Jordan and Jay that's it for the Utah Puck Report